Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Sanya Formula E round and find out what happened when IndyCar went to Kota. Well, it's been another dramatic weekend of motorsport, and we're going to be looking back at the weekend for two major categories in this edition of the Autosport Podcast. In Formula E, Jean-Éric Verne finally kick-started his title defence with victory on the streets of Sanya in China, while IndyCar had its first race at the Circus of the Americas, where Colton Herter became the youngest driver ever to win an IndyCar race. But first, we're heading for Formula E. Uh, I'm joined by Alex Kalanorkas, who is is fresh off the plane back. We have let him actually get back from China before uh, before joining us. And uh, yeah, I imagine you're somewhat worse for wear. Yeah, hello, Ed. Yes, uh, as I was just working out, I got up in Sanya 23 hours ago, uh, but was very fortunate to be on a direct flight home. Uh, so yeah, so I think there's a lot of other people going all sorts of, of ways around the world to get back. But uh, but yeah, no, back. Uh, Back recording from the glorious, uh, well, I was going to say sunny, but it's actually completely pitch black out there, obviously. Uh, uh, climbs of northeast London. So there we go. 
Excellent. Slightly less exotic than what we're used to, but uh, yeah, the time advantage was in your favour. I feel your pain in terms of the long flight having returned from Australia uh, just last week, so it's always a little bit uh, distracting, and I'm sure you want nothing more than just to fall asleep rather than uh, talking to me. So we'll we'll try and be quick. Well, first I would like to know a little bit about, about Sanya, because it's not a place I know a great deal about. Um, it's a sort of south of China isn't it on, on an island but what, what what is Sanya where, where is this place so it, this was billed as Formula E's return to mainland China which it absolutely was apart from the fact that it as you say it was on an island so not mainland China but still mainland China uh, so yeah, it's called Haiyan Island and Sanya is the capital city and basically I, I actually uh, ended up having a couple of days holiday in the city uh, ahead of the race and it's it's one massive uh, uh, resort essentially it's just a big uh, popular tourist destination mainly for, for for Chinese people going you know it's, it's been, always been a popular place there for years but they're doing this big drive uh, to push promote tourism there uh, so they they're sort of billing it as the the Hawaii of China and it is it's incredible um uh, blue seas and golden beaches and uh, incredible building work they've done out there and um, the actual race though uh, perhaps slightly disingenuous to call it a Sanya Ypres I mean it was very much the closest city of course but it was a good 15 miles outside of the city on up on the coast in uh, in, in uh, Haitang Bay a very picturesque location um, but it was it was the, the racetrack was sandwiched in between several uh, massive luxurious holiday resorts uh, which you could sort of see in the background if, if, if there was any sort of uh, high-rise cameras or helicopter shops or whatever um, so yes yeah, so there's a, a short track it's only 1.3 miles uh, 11 turns um, did produce some some uh, some action it wasn't the most action-packed race i think i think we'll go on to to discuss but um but yeah i, th- I think a successful return to china for formula e and it was effectively kind of the home the home team with ds and technical cheetah wasn't it uh one i mean i said generic verne's got his title offense off to k- kind of kick-started it again i mean he did finish second in the first round but he's had i think three blanks before the sanya race and it, it felt like a, a bit of a season unraveling uh, and so he really needed this win and, and the team really needed this win as well, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. Because uh, as we've said earlier on in the season, he should have won in Saudi Arabia if it wasn't for the in-race penalty. And I reckon he should have won in Marrakesh as well because he, he qualified second, uh, threw it away with the spin at the first corner, but showed incredible pace to come back through the field as he did. Uh, but then, as you say, he, he was, he, he was sort of, suffering a little bit from the group one problem in that he was always uh, he was up there in the championship despite things going a little bit wrong or, or not going as well as they could have done early on in the season so it meant that he was uh, constantly qualifying down in the pack and was getting involved in uh, sort of uh, several um, incidents with other drivers which he was getting very frustrated about and it did honestly as I was coming out to China I was thinking hmm is is this is this where he's sort of gonna is he maybe thinking about not throwing in the towel, but sort of acknowledging that maybe this isn't going to be his year, which um, he's never done. What he, what, what, what Vern's line always is, is that this isn't a title defense for him. He's not, he's not defending the title. No one can take that title that he won last year away from him. Uh, as we do say in our autosport, uh, style guide, he's not going to be a former champion. He will always be the 2017, 18 champion. Um, but it did look a little bit, you know, like, like it, like it perhaps just wasn't coming together. Things just came, seemed to be going wrong. But if you look to the points, because of the way it is just so tight this year, he was never actually out of it. And by getting 25 points, as you say, for this home race for the cheetah team, he's right back in it. He's up to third in the standings now. And, you know, we, we saw what he did last year when we got to the European races. He sort of just took off from there, really, or continued continued on his way, certainly. So he's right back in the title hunt. And, uh, and yeah, he's finally uh, shown good on that form that they showed earlier on in the season. 
And of course, it wasn't an easy victory because he had to pass Polman Oliver Rowland to, to do it. And we saw this this tight pack of cars at the front, uh, really, really tense battle. Like you said, it wasn't kind of constant battling and wheel to wheel, but there were some flashpoints and it was it was pretty tense. But yeah, we saw we saw Vern pounce when he had his opportunity. He did, and he, he said in the press conference that his tactic there was because he over, made the overtake at the final corner was that he tried to sort of lull Roland into a false sense of security by lifting off really early towards that corner because that was quite a feature of, of this track in that it was quite a high, uh, high, uh, high on any energy management for the drivers, so they were lifting and coasting quite a lot at, at various points. So what he was doing was that he'd back off quite a lot so that Roland would see that he was never a threat at that point, and then when it came to uh, he did that for 19 laps, then on to the 20th lap, he was like, right, I'm going for it and he's went for it at the final corner you you saw Roland if, if you look back at the replay he suddenly just looks and goes oh wow it's coming and he tries to move across but it's far too late uh, Vern nips up the inside and it really was a, a, a pretty breathtaking pass for the lead and then as you say that sort of exposed Roland he was suddenly very vulnerable because as he pointed out once you get past in Formula E everybody else suddenly is like right I can have a go now because that person's on the back foot and it produced an almighty scrap in the pack behind uh, I think Roland was, was pretty robust in his defending but he was just uh, just on the right side particularly with Antonio Felix da Costa, who ended up finishing third. They, they, did, they did touch at one point, and that was investigated by the stewards. There was some confusion afterwards whether it certainly flashed up on the timing screen saying that they were under investigation for that clash. Uh, but my understanding is that, that they were indeed investigated, but the stewards uh, just decided fairly swiftly that there was going to be no further action, which is good because Vern himself also was, uh, was under investigation, having uh, there was a, the, the crash later on that, that ensued from, from the defence that, that Roland put up and, and the pack getting very close behind him was that Alexander Sims when Andre Lostra came alongside him at one point unfortunately hit the wall and his uh, car got stranded so there was yet another red flag Formula E went 48 races with only having one red flag and now they've had three in a row which is quite impressive um, oh, sorry Ed what, have I, where was I, where, what was I talking about before I got onto the red flags <laughs> you see this is what this is what 23 hours a week does for it doesn't it yeah this is uh, the the Roland's defence, the pack behind, Vern getting ahead. I mean, the thing I was I was impressed with, which wasn't actually that relevant, but could have been, was when Vern got past Roland. He then quickly pulled a little bit of a gap, which is important because I was watching, thinking, "Oh, that's good. He's now given himself what he needs to take the attack mode should he need it without losing position." As it happened, I don't think he, he needed to, but it, it it was that that for me was kind of the second half of what you were talking about. He he lulled Roland into that full sense of security, and then when he did go, he was gone, and that was kind of race one effectively yeah exactly he, he, you're right he did he did take the attack mode he built up a little gap and then and then went for it to make sure that he covered it because you you have to use it twice so so if you if you the, the, the traditional not the traditional because of course it's Formula E nothing's very traditional but the sort of sensible school of thought if you're ahead is to wait and be, be the second driver of if it, obviously if there's two to do it because that way you don't uh, uh, lose track position uh, so Vern did that but what he also did was he didn't bother in Formula E there's just no point spending all your energy and just, just because you're ahead there's no point going flat out because you don't know what's going to happen there's going to be a safety car and we did see that with uh, with Sims and and, uh, and the incident there and then uh, yeah as I as I was sort of alluding to, uh, Vern at one point was under investigation because uh, when the when the red flag ended and the and the safety car uh, led them out, he he dropped too far back and he, he he was he was more than ten lengths behind it. He said he was sort of waiting for sort of Roland to catch up. Um, uh, what that meant was he, he got a rep, he got a reprimand, so the 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 win was was not taken away from him, but that wasn't confirmed until after the after he crossed the line. Although he did say afterwards that he was sort of unaware of how tense it had been in the cockpit. Uh, but yeah, but his win was confirmed and. Uh, yeah, he's finally he's finally got his first victory of the season. 
And Roland did have a bit of a go at, at coming back at him later in the race, didn't he? We did hear the radio message where uh, he was told, well, you know, bank this result. And obviously they had half a mind that perhaps Vern might get that, that penalty, which he didn't in the end. So, you know, a strong all-round performance from Roland, obviously, lest we forget, is in his, his first, uh, first proper season of Formula E. Absolutely. He deserves massive praise for this performance. Um, you're right. Yeah, there was a radio call saying secure the result. Um, I asked Roland about that in the press conference. I said, were you disappointed or did you agree with it? And he said, well, actually, if, if, if the full radio had been played out, you would have heard me saying that he, he'd asked for that clarification. He was like, do you want me to just hold back? And the team said, yes. So they sort of agreed it together because it, again, it, a, a bit like Vern, he, he's had a bit of a disrupted season. He scored points on debut, but then it hasn't really come together since then. But he was right in amongst it in Mexico before we had that energy energy management calamity there from Nissan uh, and then again he was leading in Hong Kong before before a few issues and he ended up retiring so it's finally come good for him but he's just he's you know he's capitalizing on what looks to be a very good package from from Nissan that they're really getting on top of uh, all sorts of rumors about the technology that they're running uh, uh, that are making them so good um worth pointing out that his teammate Sebastian Buemi had uh, had let's let's say quite a day in Sanya. Uh, he was fastest over the two practice sessions despite crashing at the end of FP2. He then had repairs, came out to set the fastest time. Uh, topped the group running in qualifying and looked the red-hot favourite for pole position, which, as you say, eventually went to Roland, uh, because Boemi uh, put it in the barriers in almost an identical incident to what happened in practice. Uh, he was then uh, put under investigation. There was sort of some there's some sort of uh, uh, mode system that the, the Nissans used on, on their brakes that the FIA uh, wanted to inspect. And, and said that he was there was a, a problem with it there, so he, he was disqualified from Super Pole, which meant he was he was supposed to start sixth. He had qualified fifth, uh, but when suddenly the lights were coming out, uh, there was no Buemi. Uh, we asked around, we, we said, you know, what's going on? There was no news about what was happening, but he had to start from the pit lane. Actually, lost a further ten seconds because once the pack had gone by, there was no green light to let, to let him go, uh, and he had to charge through the pack. The reason why he didn't take up his grid spot, which wasn't clear at the time, and there was a, a few different things flying around, a few reasons uh, about what that could have been. And um, it wasn't it wasn't because the FIA were making him start from the pit lane as a result of that penalty. It was because when they were investigating the the issue, his car remained under park firmway conditions. So once those had been lifted, the team went to charge the car, but that didn't leave him enough time to make it to the grid. So he had to start from the pit lane there. Uh, he charged back, again, showed rapid pace, uh, had quite a few incidents along the way with other drivers, and uh, he did trigger the sort of the end of the race, really, when he clashed with Robin Frines and sent the, uh, the Virgin driver into Lucas Degrassi, who was absolutely furious with the pair of them afterwards. Uh, and Boemi ended up with a penalty that dropped him from sixth to eighth in the final results. So yeah, quite a day. In fairness to, to Robin Franz, not much he could have done about that, really, was it? He was uh, he was th- uh, thoroughly booted into Degrassi. Yeah, he uh, his response to Degrassi's fury was to say, "Well, I was up in the air and I only had two wheels to break, and they both locked up." So yeah, not much he could have done there. That's a fair defence, I think. I think <laughs> we'll so. that yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's also quite a good day for Antonio Felix da Costa for for BMW, although his teammate Sims didn't make the finish of the race. Da Costa third back into the lead of the championship so he's I mean the championship lead is a very amorphous thing at the moment there's a big big group of drivers but you know it's, it's never a bad thing to be to be up front is it absolutely he's you know he's he's, he's doing the, the, the consistent the consistent running that I think is going to be very key to this uh, to this championship he said uh, you know I, I got the feeling that when he spoke in the press conference he was a little bit frustrated that he maybe hadn't hadn't picked up second or, or even the win because that BMW has looked very quick on these sort of high energy, um, high energy management courses, but 
what De Costa was saying was that he's got too much to lose and Roland knew that in their in their battle so that was sort of why it played out the way it did and I think they were both sort of pretty satisfied with the outcome there. And uh, erstwhile championship leader Sam Bird what happened to him we didn't see a great deal of him in the in the television coverage. No, you won't have done. He qualified 16th because he was uh, he was first out on the road in Group One, which is all which is not generally a great place to be. Uh, Formula E maintained that there's no disadvantage to uh, to running in Group One, but the drivers are absolutely adamant that there is, uh, and you can sort of see some you know see the logic behind that. And uh, and Bird didn't didn't get out of uh, didn't get it into Super Bowl. He qualified qualified 16th, so he was well down in the pack. And just like we've seen with Verne earlier on in the season, that exposes you to all sorts of chaos. And unfortunately, it was uh, ex-McLaren Formula 1 driver Stoffel van Dorn who crashed into the back of him very early on in the race and took them both out, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, so you wouldn't have seen Sam Bird at all if you missed the opening couple of laps of the race. And it's interesting, isn't it? We've, just, we've seen none of the, the championship contenders stringing together a, a kind of complete season so far. In fact, looking at it, the one, the one who's the most consistent actually is Jerome D'Ambrosio. He's still second in the championship. He's, he's picked up points in five of the six races, which none of the other front runners have, have managed to do. And obviously Mahindra has struggled the past, the past few races, but it just shows if you can consistently get points on the board as D'Ambrosio does, you can, you can still be hanging in there. Of course, he did win the, the second race of the season. Um, but it's, it, it just shows no one's really seized control of it yet, has a, have they? No, completely. And I think that's a combination of all, all the rules, the sort of the, the, the inverted way that the qualifying groups are working these days, plus attack mode and the 45 minute races. You know, it really is a combination of things that's keeping everything tight. And Formula E, I mean, I don't think they could have scripted it better to, if you see how close the championship is at the moment. Uh, and the team's championship as well. There's four teams covered by just two points at this, at this point in this stage in the season. Uh, yeah, a very good point you make about Dan Brojo. He is doing that consistency. He's not sort of, He's not shone as much in the last few races as we saw early on in the season. He was on the podium in Riyadh and, as you say, won in Marrakesh. And then it was Pascal Verlein, his teammate, picking up all the plaudits for Mahindra. They've sort of maybe gone slightly off the boil there. Uh, Verlein was suggesting afterwards maybe they've gone in the wrong direction. They should go back to a, a baseline that they were using for sort of a baseline setup they were using for Santiago or, or, and, and Mexico. Um, so, yeah, so I don't think we've, de- we've definitely not seen the last of them. And, uh, and, and they can certainly pull it out when they need to. Uh, so, yeah, so. Uh, as you say, you know, full credit to Dambrosia for carrying on scoring scoring the points there. Um, but yeah, it, it, a little bit of a shame not to see Verlaine up in the fight. I think he's, he's he was pretty spectacular. But then uh, Roland has stolen his mantle as the as the rookie at the moment. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about is we saw Lucas de Grassi before he uh, exited the race after uh, being torpedoed by uh, the the guided missile that Bromi sent. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a Mario Kart uh, red shell moment, wasn't it? But I know you don't get the Mario Kart references. So no, I, 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 definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't get it now, and I'm this tired. Something about a video game i believe but uh but degrassi did have problems with triggering the the attack the attack mode because it was a uh, he kind of went wide around a, a left-hander and it just seemed that he was just a little bit out of position but not quite triggering it correctly how, how did that all work and what was he getting so badly wrong yeah we've not seen we've not seen this all that much this this season it happened to jose maria lopez at the in the opening round in saudi arabia where uh, he actually on the on the first time he tried to take the attack mode he went far too wide actually clipped the wall and that was what ultimately put him out of the race there uh, and then on a subsequent occasion because of the damage that happened to his car he missed it again so it looked like he was constantly struggling to get in there. And the same thing happened, apart from the contact with the wall, with Degrassi this time. He explained afterwards he just, he just made a mistake. He just didn't, didn't, didn't get it right uh, the first time. He, uh, on two occasions, he missed it. One time he was, he went too fast and that, and that, and that, and that contributed to it. And the second time he went too slow and just misjudged it. So basically what happens with the attack mode zone, you can't see it on, on the floor because they're, they're not allowed to paint too much over the areas, but there are, there are three timing loops embedded in the asphalt that 
it, the drivers have to run over very, very accurately. So there's a, there's a real skill to getting that done perfectly. As, as the grassy as the grassy as the grassy showed, it can go really wrong there. And he did lose quite a bit of time, but again, showed the pace to get up into the pack. So it, it really does add an extra bit, a real a re, you know a real skill dimension there for the, for the attack mode. Well, and it's, uh, it's certainly made for some interesting racing this season. And yeah, the Sanya race, like you say, not the most spectacular race of the year, but it was still a, a pretty gripping one and uh, another another block in the narrative of a pretty exciting season. So thanks very much, Alex, for uh, staying awake after your, your epic journey to, uh, to to enlighten us. You, uh, for the most part, were, sounded very much like you were well-rested and, uh, and on your game. So uh, thank you for that. Fortunately, the next round on uh, April the 13th is in Rome, so a slightly, smaller, uh, slightly shorter flight. Yeah, n- not so far to go. And I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to hopefully this time having a really good pizza because last year I managed to go to Rome, of all places, and I have three terrible pizzas. I've no idea how I managed it. I feel like I sh- I'm I'm at fault somehow for for not getting a good one. Yeah, one I can accept that's a, that's a mistake, but yeah, two is folly. Three says something about you. I'm not sure what, yeah, yeah. but so I I wish you luck on that uh, on your mission this time. So thanks very much, Alex. Thanks very much, Ed. Cheers. Well, before we head on to IndyCar, I've got the chance to update you about progress in our IGP manager. League Autosport, of course, has a team in there managed by me, not necessarily especially effectively. And I have to say, I'm quite pleased I don't have any other motorsport journalists on this podcast at this stage to give me a hard time, as Scott Mitchell did on the on the last time we we talked about this. Because frankly, the way uh, the way my team's running, I think I need a little bit of a hard time and questions to be asked. But I am confident after another stellar 16th place finish in a, in a field of 16 in Malaysia. But there there were some reasons behind it. Not the ideal strategy with a little bit of a rain hit race, which wasn't ideal. The, the positive thing is there's actually loads of areas where we can improve the car. We've got a social media vote going on about whether to improve the uh, the braking of the car or the handling of the car. Personally, I'd normally go for, for handling, so I think a good handling car stands you in good stead because the driver, who of course we are relying on to deliver the results, can get the best out of it. As Gary Anderson always says, the driver will, won't drive to the peaks, they will drive to the troughs because if they're not confident, they won't be able to go well. So I'm hoping that wins out in our social media vote on at Autosport on Twitter. Now, of course, uh, IGP is available on iOS and Android, and also you can access it via browser. Uh, It's a a multiplayer game, so we're in a league with 15 other teams, all of which are right now better than the Autosport one, but we're working on it. We've got new facilities in build, looking at evaluating some new technical stuff, etc. And we've been working on having the ideal engine partners and suppliers to get the maximum performance out of the car. So we're very, very confident about a bright future, even though in the short term things are going to be quite hard. And now I say that, that does sound a little bit like I sometimes hear struggling team bosses in Formula One talk, and uh, often that doesn't end well. So yeah, we're going to have to get some results. China is the is the next race that will be on Tuesday. We are well prepared for that race, so I'm hoping we can start moving off the back, get into the midfield mix, and then of course, as we know from the real world of Formula One. In a Grand Prix field, the midfield is always very tight, so you can make quick progress uh, progress there. So, yeah, I'm hoping for some better some better uh, fortune. Although I can't really blame luck for it. I need to uh, do things a little bit a little bit better. I was thinking about actually getting Autosports Gary Anderson in to help with the strategy because he's a man who who called a strategy on the 2003 Brazilian Grand Prix where Giancarlo Fisichella ultimately won a race, although the, the result was declared quite late after initially being given to Kimi Raikkonen, which basically managed to come up with a strategy that won it in a, one of that year's uh, least effective cars, which was pretty remarkable. So I need a touch of that magic. So IGP Manager, available to download on iOS, Android. If you have a look in the Autosport 
podcast show notes you'll see a link in there for you to be able to go and sign up and you can find out how you would get on managing your own team in igp i have to say it's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite addictive and i'm uh, i'm keen for us to uh, to make some good progress with the autosport team so next up china let's hope for a better result well, now we can turn our attention to IndyCar, a thrilling race at the Circuit of the Americas, the first time IndyCar's gone there. And we've got Tom Errington joining us to tell us all about it. Well, it, it was remarkable today, Tom, because we saw Colton Herter become the youngest ever winner of an IndyCar race at the age of just 18. Yeah, incredible, really. Halfway through the race, it looked like it was Will Power's race to lose and that Alexander Rossi at times looked a bit quicker but couldn't find a way past. So for long portions of the race it looked like it was going to be the theme of the weekend which was Penske seemed to get to grips with a new track much quicker than everyone else and it was theirs to lose but as is always the way in IndyCar all it takes is one caution and the race turns on its head. Yeah it was one of those races wasn't it because we had yeah, Will Power leading from pole from Rossi and, and Colton Herter although he had some help on his side which I'm sure we'll talk about the reasons for that in a minute he took third from Ryan Hunter right at the start and so he, he was a strong contender all the way through and we should we should say it's only his third IndyCar start isn't it so he's young he's inexperienced and he's also in a team that isn't especially well fancied you could say well yeah exactly that really i think you can look at the the off season with stein brenner harding racing is what looked like a real feel-good story and that they'd given a big chance to two young talents that in one race alone in 2018 looked like they were the, the real deal the next big thing and then through various engine uh, deals we'd had honda talking quite a bit about how they were starting to get pushed to the limit on engine supply we had to see one of those drivers lose a seat and you know it started to look a little bit more tumultuous there but then spring training came around at Austin as they called it and right out of the box Herter was the one right up there setting the lap times and you had the usual thing of oh, it's just testing what does it mean but when you came to practice for the real race weekend Herter was right up there again and even when they had the the engine problem in one of the practice sessions it didn't really seem to phase him he looked ready to go and then when the race came around you know, he was in the, the fast six. He was in that pack of very experienced drivers, maybe not IndyCar experienced, but certainly internationally experienced drivers. And yeah, he very much held his own. As you say, he was running a very lonely third, which in such a, a new stage of your career, that's no bad thing at all. And he was certainly set for a podium, you'd appear, before the race turned on his head. Well, of course, the, the key moment was when the, the Yellows came out. He'd made his last pit stop. Uh, the Yellows came out for Rosenquist, who was in the wall out of the out of the penultimate corner in an incident that's uh, relevant to a track limits debate that was going on uh, during the weekend we'll get on to that in in a minute but i think the thing that really impressed me with herter is obviously he was leading the pack under the under caution so he had to get through a restart and he had joseph newgarden behind him who had more push to pass quite a lot more push to pass in fact uh so I was watching that and thinking okay we've got uh, an inexperienced indycar driver here up against a former champion what's going to happen at the restart but Herta didn't put a foot wrong did he absolutely not no I mean the other thing to bear in mind with that start was um yeah there was the huge uh, disadvantage with push to pass but also on cold tires on a restart at a new track he blitzed Newgarden there and that really was the crucial part because Newgarden couldn't get much closer to make the the overtake and that's a real pressure point for a young driver being in a situation you've never been in before a track you don't have too much race relevant experience in and you've got to go and set down a marker and hold on to a really unlikely race win you know we saw it earlier in the race there were times when power was getting quite stressed on the radio wondering where rossi is what's rossi doing what tires he's on these are things that drivers in their 30s do let alone someone who's 18 in a totally new situation new team you know it's not just a first win for him it's for the team as well huge moment but he, he's certainly impressed 
And Hertz is an interesting case, isn't he? Because he'd, he'd done a couple of years of Indy Lights. He was winning races there, though he never quite managed to win win the title. So certainly, from my perspective, he wasn't massively on my radar. He was kind of marked down as a as a good young driver, but not necessarily a superstar. But he's come in and and he's looked every bit the superstar. You know, he's the he's the standout rookie so far in a in a remarkably strong rookie class. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were times certainly last year where we had five, six, seven eight cars in Indy Lights and there was a lot of criticism there about why there wasn't the talent and how good of a proving ground is that but actually it kind of proves the point that Indy Lights is a very good proving ground and if you have a quality batch of drivers it doesn't necessarily matter how many drivers there are around you and O Ward Herta was a great title battle last year and the fact that the two of them are impressing so much against drivers who've got 10-15 years more experience on them shows that you know it's still in good health it's still a great category for learning your trade and it's still going to produce these great talents for the future. And of course, Pato Ward was that driver you referred to earlier. He finished eighth today. He's was going to have a full season. He's now got the majority of a season, having moved to Carlin. So he he was a bit of a star in the race today with some good passes as well. So uh, yeah, that other other good good strong rookie. But Herter in general, I mean, you mentioned that he looks like the the real deal. How, how good is he? I mean, I was listening to the commentary and I was hearing them refer to how good his feedback is, etc. And um, I've dealt a little bit with his father, Brian Herter, in the past, of course, the driver who won races in uh, in IndyCar and and Champ Car. You know, an, an intelligent guy a good sharp driver a good engineering driver he still calls the races for uh he's marco andretti's uh uh, uh was his man today and actually had a good result as well so it's a good day for for brian and of course it's brian herter who um sort of ran uh alexander rossi to the indy 500 a few a few years ago I remember him on the radio trying to plot that uh that fuel mileage run and just saying right now you can floor it and uh, go for the flag so obviously he's got some of his uh some of the qualities of his of his uh, dad, who is actually a very very good driver, and of course a master of Laguna Seca. But do you think this is a one off, or do you think Herter now is has come and established himself as a top gun? We will see more wins, and that is he on a trajectory to to be a champion down the line? Yeah, I mean it's very tricky with IndyCar because results can be quite difficult to read into just by the nature of the racing and how it can turn. But the one thing we definitely know about this current era of IndyCar with the the car they have now is that set up direction is hugely important you see it with the likes of Pagano last year in the first year with it couldn't find a baseline for long periods of the season was nowhere compared to his teammates on top of that it's a punishing car now you know quite a few drivers discussed that with the the manufacturer error kits you could hide behind what they called the band-aid of downforce if you made a mistake it didn't matter too much with this car okay Austin's a bit of an exception because it's F1 track you've got the huge runoffs but you don't have that in most Indy car tracks He's certainly shown in times when it matters he can get himself into the fast six, which is always a huge thing in IndyCar, that track position. Now he's shown the maturity to lead in lead races at difficult points. He's certainly got the attributes there. Now, that's the big question, isn't it? Is now, can he do this regularly? Can he appear up there all the time? And, and that's no drawback on him right now. He just hasn't driven that many races. But certainly, every test he's had so far, he's passed with flying colours. And of course, we should say, we should spare a thought for for Will Power because obviously we know how good Will Power is. I think uh, this is his fifty sixth pole. Was that the statistic? And he's now he's now only eleven off Mario Andretti's record, which is is, is remarkable. But of course, Will Power controlled the race. Uh, 
he was already knew when he was heading into the pits under the caution that he was going to be in trouble on track position. Of course, Alexander Rossi came in with him and had to restart sort of down the back of the pack and, and fight his way back through into the top ten. But it got worse when he couldn't get away from it from his pit stop. Was it a drive shaft problem in the end that meant he couldn't he couldn't get away? Yeah, he he certainly reported over the radio that it was a drive shaft problem. At this time, we're looking sort of an hour or two after the race. We're not hundred percent certain if it was that case. Certainly, it looked like it. The fact that he couldn't get away in the pits. But yeah, going back to all those things you said about power there, in terms of qualifying, yeah, after maybe Lewis Hamilton, he's probably the most enjoyable to watch on a qualifying lap. The way he extracts more out of a car than anyone else is is incredible. You look at earlier in qualifying where Rosenvist in the round of 12 was half a second up on power, which, you know, stunning performance and take that away from him. But when it really matters, power's there at the front always. problem now is that he's developed this real unlucky streak. I mean, last year... He wasn't in title contention purely because he had four retirements and no one else in title contention anywhere near that run of bad luck. Once again, it seems to be returning. You know, second race of the season, he's looking on course for a dominant win. Reliability problem hits him again. You know, he's got to hope that doesn't become another trend for him because it doesn't seem to be you know, a Penske problem by any stretch of the imagination because New Garden and Pagano didn't have those problems. It just seems to be this run of awful luck that's holding him back at times. Well, it's often been the way for power in IndyCar, hasn't it? Because going back many years, he's won one title, but he's been second, I think, four times. He's been third another three times. He's missed out on titles in, in last race shootouts. He was a contender in the last race uh, last year as well. And it, and it does seem just to be the way it goes for him. You know, he's phenomenally successful. He's won a lot of races, a lot of poles. And you could see with the interview he gave when he was out of the car, you know, he was, he was desperate just to have a normal race and get a normal result which would have been a comfortable win almost certainly okay Rossi maybe could have attacked him in the final stint but looked to me like powered under control but he, you could see he's a man who that that kind of bad luck is getting to a little bit because he's he's clearly so keen for it not to happen it's got to hasn't it really IndyCar such fine margins you know you look at Dixon and all his titles that's very much built on if your day goes wrong he's second third fourth fifth wherever he can get to the absolute maximum he's there and he's got that and he seems to avoid those problems in the case of power last year if he had even one less retirement you might have been talking about him as the champion so he knows that even just this one event yes it's the second race of the season he could look back at that in 15 races time and go well that's where i lost the title which is crazy but that's just just how indycar is yeah and i think i mean it's clear he's going to be a contender this year but yeah he's, he's going to want to avoid those those dnfs he was hoping to get through the season i think without having a single one but uh it's a 50% DNF record now, so that's uh, that's not ideal. Um, obviously, who else do well? Ryan Hunter Ray came through to finish third ahead of Graham Rahal and Sebastian Bourdain. Marco Andretti, we mentioned earlier, was was sixth. Uh, Pato Ward eighth. You know, some really great dicing. And I, I think one of the things we did see in this race this is the first time IndyCars raced at the Circuit of the Americas. We're very familiar with it from Formula One. We saw how good this track is for racing in terms of the sequence of corners and, you know, you make a move and then you're in a good position for that corner, but then you're in a less favourable position for the next corner. And these these points on the track where the opportunities present themselves, regardless of, of where, where the person you're battling with puts the car. So we saw lots of, of good little, little dices going on throughout the whole field, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about the, the new car is that it's, you know, in, in every condition, even in dirty air, you know, you can actually make a move, you can put passes together, you can get a bit robust as we saw at times. Unfortunately, the one detraction this time around was the fact that we had the, the frankly amateur situation of turn 19 having no track limits whatsoever, which I find immensely frustrating for a few reasons really, is that you see it in F1 in all categories. That turn 19-20 is so important to setting up the next lap. It's a genuine overtaking spot and instead we've got an area where people are just keeping their foot flat going on to the next lap it just takes away from it 
the fact we then had the caution caused by a driver going on to what effectively became the racing line off track, hitting a bump and nudging Rosenqvist into the wall is, is ridiculous, really. It detracts from a great addition to the IndyCar calendar, great racing. But certainly during that race, the amount of people, you were one of them in message and sort of said, what's going on at turn 19? Shows that you know, it wasn't just us thinking that's ridiculous. It was why really is the only question I can raise to that. Yeah, it's it's a it's an endemic problem in all of motorsport. It's not just IndyCar, but but they they seem to have taken a a laissez-faire approach to track limits, which is kind of understandable. But nineteen, it was just ridiculous because for those who didn't see it, they weren't just going a little bit off track. It would they were miles miles off track, and that that is what created that that collision between Ro- Rosenquist and, and Hinchcliffe. And in fact, that was what created the collision that that took the race away from uh, from Power and, uh, and to a lesser extent Rossi, wasn't it? Absolutely. When you look at turn one, there was a common sense approach there. You know, you look at Dixon where he made up a couple of places there by going off track. That was absolutely fine. He was very much pushed off pushed off track. And we saw a similar thing with Rahul, didn't we, as well? Yeah, exactly. So I've got I've seen a problem there and there are a few other instances on the track where, you know, for example, Rossi's really great overtake on the back straight, he used the inside on um O-War. That's absolutely fine. That's there to be done. You know, you still got two wheels on the track or you're very close to the track, but when you're just keeping your foot planted and going well off track and you know, certainly you can't blame the drivers. If you're not going to get punished for that, you're going to find every advantage and take every advantage and, you know, crack on if they're going to let you do that. But it was just a, a needless detraction from a, a good race. And it does it does look r- ridiculous. I mean, some people are arguing that, well, it's easier to understand than giving constant stupid track limits penalties, which I have some sympathy with that position. But to my mind, what needs to happen, and this is, this is motorsport globally, needs to find a way to manage these track limits with some kind of natural impediment not not necessarily you have to put a wall there or whatever but you need to find some way that there's a natural time loss so you can use it if you want to but but there's no advantage rather than just carrying a huge i mean effectively they're making that a much faster corner of course it raises all other question marks over safety and that kind of thing you know they i know it's built to f1 standard so grade one which indycar doesn't need to to meet but that corner the runoffs calculated based on the actual track rather than the runoff, so it creates all of these, all these other problems. Let alone what happens when you've got two cars that are off the track racing with each other, because it kind of becomes all bets are off there. So you can't please it. It's a, uh, it's a real mess, and I think it's, uh, it's indicative something needs to change. But I can name countless championships. I remember Porsche, Porsche Super Cup at, at Silverstone last year, on the run out of club, they were running way off the track every single lap, and it's just, it's, it's a serious problem, and it just, it just, it just looks stupid. Um, so yeah, uh, rant over there, but uh, I think that's something that needs to be uh, needs to be looked at. Uh, w- one thing we should talk about a little bit, obviously, is is this Harding Racing team that probably people won't know a, a great deal about that ran Herter to uh, to victory, of course, Harden Steinbrenner Racing now, uh, but this team. Has sort of come from nowhere in in a way, but it's it's a pretty serious operation. They've got some affiliation with Andretti, haven't they? Yeah, in the case of of Harding, it's a very serious operation. You know, we've got Brian Barnhart there. He used to be part of IndyCar officialdom. Um, he's obviously now on part of Hertz's team, talking over the radio to him. Um, they've been a very sensible team in their approach to IndyCar. You know, they made their debut the twenty seventeen Indy five hundred, and then from there they kind of added select races the following season and then came in as a proper program for uh, 2018. Um, then they grew into a little bit of uh, an affiliate to Andretti. There was some engineers, some support that way. By the last race of 2018, when they got O'Ward and Herter in, they were running uh, an Andretti damper program, which is one of the few areas in IndyCar you can actually have a bit of development. So it's quite an important area to maximise. 
Um, then they managed to get the Steinbrenner Association as well, which is big money there, uh, involved in Major League Baseball, for example. So as we know, there's plenty of money there. They'd set up this program. They'd switched to Honda engines to be, again, a bit close to Andretti. There was a lot of talk about using the Harding team to get Alonso into IndyCar if he'd done the full program. In the end, that didn't happen for various reasons. But yeah, it was looking like a proper Andretti B team in some respects, but with a fair bit of autonomy. Obviously, Herta, Andretti links are there as well. And, and this year really is the year where they can be taken as a serious IndyCar operation rather than worry about the, are they going to make the next race with money, they can now be a fully fledged team and certainly with Herta there, the signs are promising. Well that's very promising as well to have a both a new team and a new driver able to to compete so well because Herta has been so quick throughout so that's a good story to keep an eye on for the, for the season although it seems to be that this is going to be a year about about Penske. We've got Newgarden leading the points. Of course, he won in St. Pete's a few weeks ago, the season opener. Second place here gives him a, a handy little championship lead. I mean, this early in the season with the point system, it's uh, it, it doesn't mean a great deal, but you know, it, it feels like it's it's turning into uh, a possible Penske season. They seem to tackle some of their weaknesses as well. Yeah, very much so. You know, like all teams, there was a bit of a understanding the car last year and getting on top of it. A few little moments, tiny moments that added up to mean a great deal, such as um, Power's run of unreliability. But even then, last race of the season, they're in contention. The usual faces will rival them. You're going to have Dixon. He'll get on top of the early season problems that they seem to have had at Austin. Um, You're going to have maybe someone like a Schmidt-Peterson turn up at the odd race and be a bit of a factor. But certainly for consistency, Penske are always going to be there. Newgarden specifically has developed into a driver that when he gets out in front, he he really seems to be the class of the field in terms of leading a race, controlling the race, setting the pace, making sure he's got a gap in hand. Power is very good at that as well. The one question mark they have at the minute is Simon Pagano. He's not won a race since 2017. He was really a bit lost at sea early on last year, but started to make a bit of progress towards the end of the year. Had another messy race today. You know, when you when you qualify that far back, you're going to be taken out of other people's incidences. So. That's the one question mark they have there is can they get back to having three drivers at the front competing? But as long as they've got two, they're always going to be in with title contention. Yeah, that's an interesting plot line to watch for the rest of the season as well. So whether Penske take on a, a driver to replace Pagano for, for next year, people have talked about someone like Rossi even throwing Herter's name around as, a, as an option. Yeah, I mean, there was certainly talk last year that uh, you know, the captain, as they call him, was taking a keen interest in Robert Wickens. The team always denied to me that was the case. It, they'd always had faith in Pagano, so they're going to do, but certainly the longer a bad run of form continues the more you're going to look elsewhere or consider what you can do there if there's a shake-up staffing wise shake-up driver wise yeah the great thing they've got now is it sounds like they're not exactly lacking for options in they've got her to doing so well with um, the other team you've got Rossi does some sports car races with Penske so there's that link as well so yeah, certainly there's going to be options. Whether they feel they need to do that, that's another thing. Well, I guess one of the big things this season, we have seen an injection of, of new talent onto the market with O'Ward and Rosenquist and, and Herter. So it's uh, yeah, a good time for, for IndyCar with some fresh drivers coming in and, uh, and creating some, some headlines. Well, thanks very much, Tom Errington, for, for your input. A uh, historic uh, race both in terms of who won it and the, uh, the first race at this, at this track. And uh, yeah, it's, it's shaping up to be a good season for IndyCar. Well, for more on IndyCar and Formula E, including the latest news from Tom Errington and Alex Kalanorkas, head to autosport.com and, of course, we'll have the latest from the world of Formula One as it happens there as well. Check out our Plus subscriber area where, for a small fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists on a wide range of topics. And please also have a look at sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and Motorsport News, out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pitstop Betting app. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.